This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Alright, good morning Anchor. Hope you've been able to start some good conversations that you can continue later over morning tea. Let's come back together as we um, hear from God's Word. My name is Brad Koneman. I'm part of the Chippendale Gospel Community. Let me extend a big welcome to you if you're new or visiting. Uh, We're so glad that you've chosen to be with us this morning. And this might be your first time at church ever, or you might have just come back to church after some time away, and we want to let you know that we're so glad that you are here. And we want to let you know that the message of Jesus is good news. We believe that it is good news for you. It is good news for our city that Jesus offers us life and freedom and hope and we hope that you can find that and experience that in him just like Esther has what an amazing story from Esther I want to really encourage you guys as well with our introducing Jesus course starting next week we want our city we want our friends our neighborhoods to experience this life that we've all found in Jesus and to do that we need to make a real effort to reach out to them. And this is a really wonderful opportunity for us to take a step of faith, to invite that neighbour, that family member, that friend, that co-worker, that person that God has put on your heart and in your path, to take a step of faith and invite them to this course because it's going to be an amazing opportunity for them to hear really clearly about Jesus and what he's done and what it means to follow him. So let me commit that to you. Today we're going to be hearing another amazing story of transformation as we continue our series through Acts, Uh, a movement begins. And we're up to Acts chapter 16 and we're going to see the Holy Spirit work powerfully to transform the life of the Philippian jailer. Now this doesn't happen from a preaching platform, it happens from a prison cell. And we're going to see that the difficulties that we face in our lives aren't obstacles but opportunities for God to be at work. Uh, So let's pray now. We need God's help as we hear from his word. So join me as I pray uh, for him to be at work today. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us faith this morning, faith to receive your word, faith to understand it, faith to trust our lives to you, faith to live for you. We know that we need your help in this. So please be at work today by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are up to Acts chapter 16, Uh, so I invite you to get your Bibles out or open the app on your phone. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, if you're new to this whole Bible thing, the verses are going to be up on the screen behind me. Uh, We're going to read from Acts chapter 16, verse 16, as we see Paul and Silas put in prison for preaching the gospel. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. So this is happening in Philippi which we learnt in Acts chapter 16, verse 12, is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. So in Philippi. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. 
But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So Paul and Silas are in prison. They've been disrupting the city with the gospel as the Holy Spirit has been transforming lives. And so they've been beaten with rods, locked up in the heart of the prison in this inner cell. Their feet are shackled with chains. They're heavily guarded. There's no way out. This is bad news for the gospel, right? You know, we've seen throughout Acts that nothing can stop the plans of God, that nothing can stop the advance of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Dishonesty or division, persecution or imprisonment, magicians or the devil himself, nothing can stand in God's way. The gospel is unstoppable. Jesus will build his church. And so while Paul and Silas are in chains, the gospel is unchained. As they sit on that cold, hard stone floor of the prison cell, They know that their imprisonment is no obstacle, but an opportunity for the gospel. And so look at that. I mean, isn't it so inspiring? Verse 26, how they're responding in prison, that they're continuing to trust God, praying to him, singing songs, worshipping him, witnessing to the other prisoners, even to the guards. You know, we look at the difficulties in in our lives, and I don't know what difficulties you're facing at the moment. We, We look at the church being pressured by the culture, feel like we're being backed into a corner and we think it's bad news for the gospel. And I I can't help but think of our current cultural climate, our current cultural moment and the debates around same-sex marriage and how much pressure the church is feeling from our culture. Now, to be clear, we're definitely not facing persecution, we're not being put in prison or anything like that, but we are facing this pressure, aren't we? Pressure and hostility from the culture as the church is increasingly marginalised in our society. And I want us to see that far from this being an obstacle for God to be at work, this cultural pressure can actually be an opportunity for us to engage people with the love of Christ. And, I mean, Esther's story is an amazing example of how she's done that uh, and witnessed to her gay friends and really befriended them. And I wanted to share another story from Chippendale Gospel Community, from Amy Pratton. Uh, Every week we share mission moments about the opportunities that God has brought our way to love our friends and share the gospel with them. And a few weeks ago, Amy was sharing about one of her friends who was feeling frustrated and having conflict with another friend who was going to vote no. And so this friend approached Amy to ask her perspective on same-sex marriage as a Christian. And Amy had this amazing opportunity not only to share her views, but to share God's heart for the lost and explain some of the factors why this decision that all of us are facing, why it's so complex for Christians and why we're really struggling with it. Uh, Her friend felt listened to and supported and it really revealed to her how central God is in Amy's life. This mission moment allowed Amy to engage her friend with love and with grace and to understand where she's coming from spiritually. And 
On top of that, it led to another conversation with a friend who was listening in about spiritual things. So this pressure was actually an opportunity for Amy, an opportunity where God opened a door for the gospel, where God opened a door for her to engage her friend. And so here, with Paul and Silas on that pr- in that prison cell, where everything seems darkest in the middle of the night, at midnight, God shows up in the most extraordinary way and brings the jailer to faith. Our passage today shows us that any difficulty we face is not an obstacle, but an opportunity for God to be at work. So we're going to see this amazing encounter now as we continue reading in Acts 16 about how God transforms the life of this jailer. So let's pick it up, Acts 16 from verse 26. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everybody's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself! We're all here! And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he, bapt- and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So in this incredible story of transformation, we're going to see three movements. Three movements of transformation. Trembling, trusting, and turning trembling trusting and turning so let's start with trembling from verse 26 to 30 now has anyone here experienced an earthquake a few people a few people i i haven't personally but i was speaking to a kiwi friend this week uh who was telling me that it's it's kind of like you know the solid ground starts to turn to water and it feels like you're on a surfboard or something in a pool and it's it's you know it's like that um just like that. <laughs> um, so I haven't experienced that personally. But I did visit Christchurch soon after the 2011 earthquake that killed 185 people. And I was shocked to see the extent of the damage. You know, the CBD was completely shut down, all the buildings were crumbling, the roads were torn up. And I can't imagine how terrifying it would have been to live through that and the thousands of aftershocks that the, conti- that the city continued to have in the months and years afterwards. So this earthquake in this story in Acts 16, it's got to be quite a significant earthquake to shake the foundations of the prison and open the doors. Everyone's chains being loosed. Now, this actually seems like good news for Paul and Silas. It seems like God has provided a miraculous way for them to escape from prison, just like he did for Peter back in chapter 12. Do you remember that when we looked at that a few weeks ago? In chapter 12, when God opens the door for Peter to leave the prison... The guards were put to death for letting him escape. So you can understand it when the Philippian jailer, who'd been explicitly ordered, you've got to keep these guards, these guys closely, is terrified when he wakes up and sees the prison doors open. He thinks the prisoners are escaped and that he's going to be executed because he hasn't done his job properly. So he draws his sword 
and he's about to kill himself because he thinks taking his own life is going to be better than it being taken from him. When Paul shouts, jumps up and shouts, Stop it! Don't do it! Don't do it! We're here! You don't need to do it! Now, you might think that the jailer would be relieved from this news, that the prisoners haven't escaped, but he actually rushes in before Paul and Silas, trembling with fear. What must I do to be saved? Can you hear the desperation in his voice? The earthquake shook the foundations of the prison, but something has shaken the foundations of his life. Now, for most of us, most of the time, we cruise along in drive, we cruise through life, and there might be some ups and downs, some rocky roads, some relatively minor stresses or disappointments. You know, you miss the bus, you lose your keys, your stocks go down, you don't get the grade you wanted, but nothing that causes us to fall down on our knees crying out for our lives, what must I do to be saved? You don't hear that desperation in our voices very much, do you? It's not until an earthquake comes that you wake up to the realities of life and death. Now, for some of you, you might be experiencing an earthquake right now. You might have had someone that you love pass away. You might have had a cancer diagnosis or a stroke or a heart attack. You might have had a miscarriage, a car crash. You might be facing an irreconcilable relationship that's tearing your life apart. But even if you're not in an earthquake right now, we all live on a fault line. It's not a matter of if, but when suffering will come. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia series, wrote this, that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pain. Pain is God's microphone to rouse a deaf world. See, our suffering shouts to us that we are not in control of our lives. In the face of death, we're confronted with the terrifying reality that we must all stand before our maker and give an account for our lives. This jailer knew he was responsible for these prisoners and he feared for his life, thinking that they'd escaped. So too, we are accountable to God. You are responsible for your life and we have all failed. We all must face the consequences. You can't shift the blame to someone else. We are all destined to die and face the judgment of God. Tim Winton, in his book Cloud Street, did anyone else read that at school? I read that for the HSC. Uh, There's this scene that I'm going to put up on the screen where the main character, Quick, says this. The jails are full of blokes who we'd swear are different to us. The only difference is they did things you and me just thought about. That's still a big difference, said Rose. Maybe. A second's difference. There's no monsters, only people like us. All of us have failed. All of us are monsters. There is a monster inside me. There is a monster inside you. Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote similarly in the Gulag Archipelago, again on the screen, The line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. This line shifts inside us, it oscillates with the years, and even within hearts overwhelmed by evil, one small bridgehead of good is retained, and even in the best of all hearts there remains an unuprooted small corner of evil. Confronted with the reality that none of us is righteous, not one, 
that all of us have some measure of evil within, that we are all guilty and deserving God's judgment, we ought to have the same response as the jailer, falling on our knees, trembling with fear, crying out, what must I do to be saved? You see, most of us aren't interested in salvation until we realize that there's something that we need saving from, that we have a sin problem, that we're facing death and hell. It's not until we realize the magnitude of our problem that we will seek a solution. And so the jailer, having been shaken by the earthquake and confronted with his need for salvation, turns to the men who have faced their beatings and their imprisonment with peace and joy. See, isn't it interesting that they could face their imprisonment with peace because they'd already received an eternal salvation? If the biggest enemy of sin and death and hell has been defeated, they don't need to worry about the small stuff. See, the earthquake shook the foundations of the prison, but it could not shake the foundations of their lives because they had built their lives on the rock. And isn't it interesting that it's often when suffering and earth, you know, an earthquake comes into our friend's life that that's the time when they're going to reach out to you. When they see the peace and joy that you have in Christ in your suffering, when they see the steadiness in your life, that you are rooted in Christ, established in him, that nothing can shake you, that when suffering comes into their life, they're going to turn to you because they know that you have a hope that, that cannot be shaken. So the first step, the first movement in, in transformation is trembling in this story. Suffering shakes people to seek salvation. The second movement is trusting in verses 31 and 32. The jailer asks, what must I do to be saved? And what do they respond? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, just like Arnaldo a few weeks ago helped us to think through what it means for us to be saved by grace when we're at the Emmor, I want us to slow down on this verse and understand what it means for us to be saved by faith. Because this is so vital for us to understand. What, what is the gospel and what do we need to do to be saved? See, faith is at the centre of this story and faith is really at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. If we want to see more people converted like this jailer, and we do, if we want to make disciples of Jesus, then we need to understand what we're calling people to. Because being on mission isn't just being nice to people, it's bringing them the message of salvation. And to do that, we need to understand what that message is and what is required for us to be saved. So church, listen up. If we want to live as everyday missionaries, this stuff is really important. What is the gospel? What does it mean to have faith in Jesus? So to break this sentence up, to think about this really important stuff, we're gonna, I'm going to break it up into three sections. Three, three key words from this verse. Jesus, faith, and salvation. Jesus, faith, and salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So the first thing I want us to see is Jesus, that it is faith in the Lord Jesus that saves this is important. We don't have faith in ideas or in doctrines. We have faith in a person. Faith itself doesn't save anyone. It's Jesus that saves us. The historical man, Jesus of Nazareth, who walked around Galilee and Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, he lived the perfect life of obedience to God that we should have. He died the death for sin that we should have. God raised him from the dead in victory over sin and death. And he is reigning and ascended as Lord and Christ. Faith grasps hold of the person of Jesus 
and receives all the blessings of salvation that are in him. We are saved by Jesus. Second thing that we see is faith. We must believe in Jesus. Now, this isn't blind faith. It's not a leap in the dark. We're not believing against the facts. No, Christian faith is based on truth, the historical truth that Jesus died and that he was buried and that he rose from the dead and that he appeared to many witnesses around Jerusalem and Galilee and that these witnesses gave their lives testifying that this man is the Son of God. But it's not enough for us just to know this truth intellectually or even to go, yeah, I think that's true. The faith that saves is a trusting faith. You need to entrust your life to Jesus. It's like if you know, you're swimming at the beach at summer and you get caught in a rip and the rip is sucking you out through the surf, out the back and you're getting pummeled by the waves, set after set, crushing down upon you. You're exhausted, you're struggling, you're trying to swim yourself back in, you're running out of breath, the waves are crashing on you, you get a lung full of water and finally you think, oh man, I, I, I'm struggling here and you stick your, stick your hand up to try and wave for the lifeguard, you, you see him run, you grab his board and run out into the surf, another set hits you, you see him approaching. To actually be saved, it's not enough to, just to go, oh yeah, there's a lifeguard. It's not enough to go, okay, yeah, I'm going to get on the board. To be saved, you actually need to get out of the ocean and onto the board. You need to let him pull you up out of your trouble and get on the board so that he can take you back to shore. The faith that saves is a faith that stops trying to keep itself afloat, thinking, I can swim back in. Yeah, there's a lifeguard, but I'm going to just keep swimming. I can do it. It's the faith that actually gets up onto the board of salvation, that entrusts itself to Jesus and allows him to save you. See, we are saved by faith alone, not by works. We contribute nothing. As Arnaldo reminded us two weeks ago, to add anything to Jesus is to subtract. Jesus' work on the cross is finished. It's sufficient. It's done. He's offered the perfect sacrifice for sin once for all. And he gives us the righteousness of God. We do not earn our place in the kingdom of God. We simply receive the gift of salvation that he's holding out to us by faith. See, faith, faith is the empty hands. The empty hands that grasp hold of Christ for salvation. We don't come forward going, look what I've got. Look what I've got. I've got something. No, all you need is nothing. But that's our problem. That's the one thing that most of us don't have, nothing. You know, we live in a culture of performance, Got to do more, got to do better, got to get more degrees, got to work longer hours, got to get more money in the bank, got to get a bigger investment portfolio, got to live in a nice area, got to send my kids to the right school, got to make something of my life, got to prove myself, got to make, give people reason to think that I'm valuable. Look at me. This came up last night, we're having dinner with some friends and their little boy is in kindergarten and He's at reading level 10. And they were talking about a conversation that they had with another mum who was boasting, oh, well, my kid is at reading level 14. And of course, because I'm university educated. That's our culture, isn't it? We live in a culture of performance where you've got to prove yourself to make something of yourself. Now, Jesus told a story about this performance culture in Luke chapter 18. 
He told a story where two men come up to the temple to pray. One's a self-righteous religious leader, a Pharisee, one a sinful tax collector. And the Pharisee comes forward and he says, God, thanks that I'm not like that guy over there, a dirty tax collector or those filthy adulterers. I fast twice a week. I give my money away. Look at me. But the tax collector stands out the back. He stands far off. He won't even lift his eyes to heaven. He beats his breast. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says it's the tax collector who goes home right with God. The guy who comes with empty hands. I'm a sinner. I've got nothing to offer. I'm totally dependent on your mercy, God. You see, our performance does not matter in the end. Our performance will not save us. There's nothing that you can do to prove yourself to God. You need to come humbly before God with the empty hands of faith asking for his mercy, just like that tax collector. See, faith is all that you need. It's all that you need, nothing else. But if you want to be saved, then you do actually need to have that faith. It's not enough that you grew up in a Christian family. It's not enough that you are part of a gospel community. See, God doesn't just let everyone into heaven. What counts is how you respond to Jesus. You need to trust him. You need to make a decision for yourself. Do you believe this? Will you own this for, your st- for yourself? Will you put your stake in the ground? See, personal faith is necessary for salvation. If you've not yet put, made a decision to put your trust in Jesus and accept this free gift of salvation that he's offering you, then do not delay. You need to make that decision and there's no better day than today to trust Jesus. Will you trust him? Will you reach out your empty hands of faith to take hold of the gift of salvation that he's offering you? God does not delight in the death of the wicked. He longs for all of us to turn and repent and live. And so if you're feeling convicted today that you want to trust in Jesus, then our prayer team will be available over on the side after our gathering and they would love to lead you in prayer. And I I encourage you, if you've got that conviction on your heart today, then do not leave this place without talking to someone, without praying with someone, and there's no better place than our prayer team to do that after the sermon. We're saved by Jesus. We're saved by faith in Jesus. And that results in salvation. Isn't that a wonderful promise? That we have the certainty and assurance of salvation if we put our faith in Jesus. If you believe, you will be saved. For sure, for certain, no doubt about it. Now many of us struggle with doubt. You know, particularly as we stumble in sin. Am I really saved? I really messed up this week. Does God really love me? How can I know? Well, it's not about what you do. It's about what he has done. If you have placed your trust in Jesus, then you are saved for certain. That's good news, isn't it? That we have the certainty and assurance of salvation, even as we continue to struggle with sin. Now, what does this salvation mean? What does it mean that we are saved? Well, back in Acts chapter 2, in the very first sermon that Peter preached, he said this right at the end. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit.
the forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, God's gift of salvation offers us freedom from the past. Our sins are wiped away. We are cleansed and washed. There is no condemnation. Freedom from the past. It offers us purpose and power for the present. We've been given the Holy Spirit. God has set us apart to live a life for Him, a life of mission. And we have hope for the future that Jesus will return and establish His kingdom. All this is yours if you trust in Jesus. And so when the Philippian jailer is presented with this amazing promise of the gospel, how does he respond? It's too good to refuse, isn't it? He believes in Jesus and is saved. Salvation has come to him and his whole household. Out of the difficult circumstance of Paul's imprisonment, God has worked it for good. This man who was dead in his sins is now alive with Christ. Praise God. And we will see him on that last day when Jesus returns, when all the saints are raised and the kingdom comes. Now we've covered a lot of ground so far, so just to recap where we've been, the three movements of salvation, we've seen trembling, our suffering shakes us to seek salvation, and we've seen trusting that all you need is faith in Jesus and you will be saved. And now we turn to the third movement of transformation, turning in verses 33 and 34. Now, while we're saved by faith alone, the faith that saves is never alone. There is a brand new life orientation, a brand new direction for us as Jesus' followers, a life of turning. We turn away from our old life of sin and we turn to live a new life for Jesus. And this is visually acted out in baptism. The jailer and his family are baptised. Now, baptism symbolizes this turning of the gospel, this turning of salvation that happens as we're united to Christ. Whatever happens to Jesus happens to us because we are in him. He died and was buried, and so we died with him. We were buried with him. And this death and burial is visually acted out in baptism as we go under the water. We're dead. We're buried. But then Jesus was raised from death to life to live a brand new life in the power of the Spirit. And so we too come out of the water to live a new life, turning away from our old one to live a new life for God. If he left the grave behind him, then so will I. This turning isn't just something that happens at conversion, but it's got to be lived out every day in our lives as we repent of sin turning away from our old life and turning to live a new life for God by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has empowered us for our new purpose of living a life of obedience to God as we take our part in his mission to the ends of the earth. And isn't it amazing how joyful they are that they've received this gift of salvation. They throw this huge celebration feast. They're rejoicing, they're partying and salvation should bring us great joy, shouldn't we? We should be a people of joy that we have gone from death to life. We've been rescued from sin and death and hell and we've been given life, eternal life in Jesus. We ought to be a people that are known for partying. We have so much to celebrate, especially when people come to faith. And so we've seen these three movements of transformation, trembling, trusting and turning. But these three movements aren't just the three movements of conversion at the start. They're the three movements of the Christian life every day. Every day 
We tremble before God, confessing our sin and our need for his mercy. We do not presume to come before his throne trusting in our righteousness, but in his grace. Every day we keep trusting in Jesus. We live by faith, trusting that our salvation is secure, not because of anything we've done or anything that we do, but because of what he has done for us. And every day we keep turning, turning away from sin, turning to Jesus to live in the new way that he's given us by the power of his spirit. We live as everyday missionaries in a hostile context. And this story should boost our expectation that God actually wants to use this moment of cultural pressure for his purposes. It's no obstacle. It is an opportunity for the gospel. And I love how how Paul expresses this about his own imprisonment in Philippians chapter 1. Have a look at this on the screen. He writes this about being in prison. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, being in prison has really served to advance the gospel. And most of my brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What an inspiring example for us from the Apostle Paul. And I pray that for us, church, for you, as you live on mission this week, that you might become more confident in the Lord by Paul's example, that the Spirit would make us bold to speak the word of the gospel, especially as we're feeling pressured from our surrounding culture. Even this week, there might be someone in your life that is opposed to Christianity. This person is not beyond the reach of the gospel or the power of the Holy Spirit. The story of the Philippian jailer shows us that. Indeed, this person's opposition, it might be what God wants to use to bring them to faith as you engage them with the gospel, as you engage them with the love and grace of God. And so let us go out this week, church, expectant that God will use us, even in our difficulties, by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring this good news message of salvation by faith in Christ to our city. We need God's help in this. Let's, let's pray that he'll empower us to be on mission this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing story of transformation from the Philippian jailer, how you reached down into that prison cell when everything was bleak and cold and dark and you, you brought him to faith. You showed him the seriousness of, of sin, the need for salvation and the, the great promise of salvation that we have in Christ, that if we just believe, if we trust him, that he will save us. Father, we're so inspired by Paul's example. Uh, Paul and Silas sitting in that prison cell, uh, trusting you, praying to you, worshipping you, witnessing to the other prisoners and guards. And we want to be used by you this week in whatever difficulties we face. We trust that they are not an obstacle, but that they are an opportunity for your purposes. So please empower us by your Holy Spirit. Give us the boldness and courage that we need to, to love to engage people with grace, to speak about Jesus who died for us and was risen. Father, we, we know that you are at work and we want to be used more and more by you. So please do more than we could ask or expect by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.